We are talking about worship. Specifically today, we're going to talk about consecration in worship. Worship in spirit and in truth. Our text today is going to be Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Before I read the text in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I want to encourage you to to realize and to be a people who doesn't just pick and choose how you read the Bible or what you read in the Bible, but that you read the Scripture, the whole Scripture, both Old and New Testament. You know, there's a lot of people today who believe the Old Testament's irrelevant, so we don't really need to worry about it. We don't even need to read it. But if, if you do that, you miss, you miss more than you can imagine. Because the Old Testament was given to us, and it reveals Christ to us, and it reveals the way God works in our lives and in his creation. And the New Testament and the revelation given to us in the New Testament could not even be if it were not for the revelation that God gave recorded for us in the Old Testament scriptures. And so today as we talk about consecration and worship, we're going to begin in the New Testament, but we're going to go back to the Old Testament and we're going to look at how God set up worship in the tabernacle to picture for us the reality of our worship today in Christ. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the word of the Lord. These two verses in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, picture what transpires in worship when you present yourself a living sacrifice to Yahweh. Consecration is what we're talking about today. This is the, the step. Remember, we're, we, in covenant renewal worship, we have the call, we have confession, we have consecration, we have communion, we have our commission. We looked at the commission or the confession last week. Today we're looking at our consecration And consecration brings transformation. There are two things in these verses I want to point out. First, in verse 1, is the command, and it is a command, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. And this is described as our reasonable or our rational act of worship. The second, in verse 2, is the command 
that you no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For your your transformation proves through your lived life what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The presentation of your bodies and the transformation of your life is significant in your consecration in covenant renewal worship. In other words, worship should change your life. Worship does change your life, whether you realize it or not, because every Human being worships someone or something. One of our modern day prophets said it like this. Everybody's going to serve somebody. And that is the truth. Everybody's going to serve somebody. Or we could say it like this. Everybody's going to worship something. The question is not, If I worship, the question is, what do I worship? Or more specifically, who do I worship? And so worship changes your life, either for good or not. Either for God's glory or for your own misplaced glory. But worship changes your life. I believe it's why God commands us to not forsake assembling ourselves together to worship him. Because whether you meet here on Sunday or not, you're worshiping something and you're being changed into something. And the Bible is very specific what God wants us to be changed into, transformed into. I want you to notice that Paul commands obedience. To present your bodies. That is the command. That's the point of obedience. Present your bodies. And he commands obedience while the process of renewing your minds is taking place. Caleb touched on this today in Sunday school. It's not a chronological thing. I present my body and then my mind is renewed. No, I present my body and all the while I'm being renewed. My mind is being renewed. I'm being transformed. Full obedience to God is not conditioned upon your full understanding of God and His ways. Because none of us really understand God or His ways. As we obey Him, we grow in the grace and knowledge and understanding of Him. Let's review the worship prescribed in the tabernacle to better understand what God is doing in us as we present ourselves to Him as living sacrifices in worship. In Leviticus chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, we see the five steps of covenant renewal worship. We see our call, we see the confession, we see consecration, we see communion, And we see uh, our commission because that worship was perpetuated. It was not a one and done. It was to continue, and it did continue daily. 
Let me read these four verses out of Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus 9, verses 1 through 4. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, Take yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And to the, to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering. Also a bull and a ram as peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil for today the Lord will appear to you. Now we talked about this before. We use the scripture as our text in our call to worship uh, when we, we use this in Leviticus chapter 1 and we see here all five elements of covenant renewal worship. The steps of confession, consecration, and communion, in that order, those are the three steps between the call and the commission. The steps of confession, consecration, and communion are represented by three sacrifices in these verses. The sin offering represents our confession. The ascension, or the burnt offering, represents our consecration. The peace offering represents our communion with God around the fellowship meal. We'll partake of that today toward the end of our worship. But our focus today will be on the ascension offering, our consecration. But we don't get to the ascension offering, we don't get to consecration, we don't get to skip the call, and we don't, don't get to skip confession and go right to consecration. So worship begins with the call. God calls us to draw near to him. And in response to God's call in the tabernacle, the worshiper brings the appropriate animal sacrifice. In the new covenant, we draw near to God, not with animals, but to present ourselves as living sacrifices, to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And those living sacrifices are made holy and acceptable to God by the blood of Jesus. That's how we're able to approach him. Confession and absolution is the next step represented by the sin offering. So we're called and then we come and we confess. This is what Caleb spoke about last week. But we need to realize that we can't even approach God until we have been cleansed. In the tabernacle, when the worshiper responds to the call, he brings the appropriate animal for sacrifice before the Lord. The offering for sin or purification is brought before the Lord. It is understood the animal represents the worshiper. So it wasn't just a man bringing an animal. It was a man bringing himself, and the animal was just the representative for the man. The sacrifice of the animal symbolizes the sacrifice of the worshiper. This is why Paul uses the language he does in Romans 12. He understands perfectly what happened in the tabernacle and the temple. And he's saying to the believer, you are the sacrifice that's being offered. 
The worshiper would lay his hands on the head of the animal to be sacrificed in his stead, and the animal was slain, and the blood was separated out and applied to the altar as a presentation to God. The ceremony in the tabernacle signified that the worshiper through the offered animal had been slain. The worshiper exercised faith in God in presenting his sacrifice. By God's grace, through faith, the blood of the offered animal atoned for the sin of the worshiper. The worshiper was to understand that it was he, not the animal, who deserved death in the face of God's holiness. It's only God's grace that allows the worshiper to draw near to present sacrifice, and it is only God's grace that accepts the blood of a substitute for atonement. All of this, of course, points to the better sacrifice who is Jesus Christ. He has sanctified us through the offering of his body once for all, as the writer of Hebrews teaches us. This aspect of worship in the tabernacle corresponds to our confession of sin in our own Lord's Day service. Our confession of sin each week and the absolution we receive by God's grace is an important reminder of what Robert Rayburn calls the inflexible holiness of God. The inflexible holiness of God. I hope you understand what that means. There is no bending. There is no compromising. There is no diminishing the holiness of God. So amidst his loving kindness, amidst his mercies that are new, every morning our God is inflexibly holy. He can be no less and we should expect or want less than who he is. We confess our sin because our God is inflexibly holy. And while trusting in his graceful and merciful forgiveness, his holiness demands our humble repentance. And the awareness of his holiness reminds us that we need his cleansing grace found only in the blood of Jesus Christ. Our cleansing then brings us to consecration. So we read this in the instructions to the priest before the priest can bring any offering to the Lord on behalf of the people, on behalf of themselves, they had to bring the sin offering to be cleansed before they could even bring the consecration, the burnt offering, the ascension offering, that that is the Lord's. And so that cleansing brings us to our consecration. Consecration is the next step represented by the ascension offering. Now, in your Bible, it probably may say burnt offering. But the burnt offering, in reality, is the ascension offering. That word in the Hebrew means to ascend. It's called the burnt offering because it is completely burnt up. It is completely consumed by fire. There's not any part of this offering that is saved for the priest, that's eaten later. Other other offerings... That happens too, but not the ascension offering or the burnt offering. So in the tabernacle, when it's time for the consecration, this part of our worship, or for the ascension offering, 
God moves the priest to cut up the animal. Now we're talking about the burnt offering now. God moves the priest to cut up the animal, making it fit to ascend the altar into God's fiery presence. Now the altar had a fire burning, and when that sacrifice was put on that altar, it was put on there for the purpose of it being burned up. The worshiper represented by the animal must not only die, but must be properly made fit for ascension to God. After the animal is slain and the blood applied to the altar, it's skinned, it's divided out, it's washed, and its parts are arranged and placed on the altar, making ready to ascend into God's holy presence. This process is described, you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 1, verses 6 and 9, or we just read it in Leviticus 4, verses 2 and 3. This is the ascension offering that represents our consecration. So this is recorded for us in the Old Testament, not just so that we'll have some history and be able to look back and say, I'm glad I'm not under that system anymore and I've got to bring all these animals and deal with all that blood. We have a much better system, a much better covenant. Yes, it is true, we do. But don't think that what happened to that animal is not to happen to you because that animal is a picture of you. And what happened to that animal in worship in the tabernacle in the temple is actually what happens to you today in worship. You just might not know that, which is why we're going through this sermon series so that you will begin to understand exactly what is transpiring spiritually as we worship the Father. So consecration is this step in our covenant renewal worship. So let's talk about consecration and covenant renewal worship. The pattern of our consecration and covenant renewal worship occurs in much the same way as the pattern in the tabernacle. God calls us to draw near to him. We draw near to his holy presence, trusting in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, that was slain for us and his blood that is applied to absolve us of all our sin. We humbly confess our sin. That's why we do this each week. That's why you're invited to kneel and to confess your sin. Because this is part of worship. This is part of worshiping God. We humbly confess our sin and our need for Him, trusting in His cleansing blood to atone for us. We're called to die to sin. We're called to die to self through the work of the cross and the power of his resurrection life. We draw near to him to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is called our reasonable act of worship. How does God consecrate us? He consecrates us through his word. This is why, as you look again at your, your, your bulletin, your order of worship, you'll see that the sermon falls under the section called consecration. We put the sermon there because it is the Word of God preached, taught, declared. It's why we sing the Word. It's why we have the Word throughout the whole worship service, because it is the Word of God. It's through God's Word that we are consecrated. 
So our consecration is through the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word, remember, the Word is the priestly knife that pierces us and divides us. His Word is also the water that washes us. Let me read to you again from the writer of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In other words, the Word of God preached equally each week should pierce us to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, discerning even the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Remember, don't think of that sword as a weapon of war. Think of that sword as the butcher's knife used to part out, to divide that animal and to expose everything to the Lord so that that animal then is transformed. Are you hearing what's happening? That animal is transformed and made fit to be placed on the altar. Why is it placed on the altar? Because it's going to ascend to the presence of God. But it's not going to ascend as flesh. Because that flesh is going to be burned up. All of this is a picture of what happens to us in our salvation. Circumcision was given to Israel as a sign of the covenant. We have a new sign of the covenant now. It's called baptism, but it means the same thing. Circumcision was the cutting away of the flesh, but it only applied to little boys. But now in the new covenant, the sign of the covenant, of the sign of baptism applies. There is now in Christ neither male nor female, both boys and girls, Young and old receive the sign of the covenant, but the sign means the same thing. It's the cutting away of the flesh. This is what's happening with the ascension offering. This is what's happening to this animal. That flesh is, is getting ready to be transformed into something that is holy and acceptable to God. There is a transformation taking place. The word preached does that. The word preached is the priestly knife that cuts us and exposes us and transforms us and makes us fit to ascend to God. The Word also washes us. It sanctifies and cleanses us, preparing us for God. Ephesians 5.26, that he may, that speaking of Jesus, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. If you read in Leviticus chapter 1, in those verses 6 through 9 where it talks, it gives the detail of what's happening to the animal after it's parted out, after it's divided, after it's cut up. The priest takes the entrails and the legs and washes with water before they're placed on the altar. This pictures for us the washing of the water of the Word. This is God making us ready to ascend the altar and enter his holy presence. Each week we corporately enter his presence in worship with so great a cloud of heavenly witnesses. Whether you realize it or not, we do. And worshiper, we worship on Mount Zion. 
listen to the writer of Hebrews describe this. The book of Hebrews is all about worship. It begins by telling us that Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than any earthly high priest. Jesus is better than any sacrifice that's ever been offered because what he offers is once for all. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, the writer of Hebrews gives us these words, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is what transpires. This is where we are right now. Yeah, I know we're sitting in these chairs right here at Christ Fellowship Church in Taylor, Texas. But spiritually, we are joined with the great assembly in heaven at Mount Zion. And worship is taking place. Worship, this is why we confess we believe in the Catholic, the Holy Catholic Church. Not the Roman Catholic denomination, but the Holy Universal Church, past, present, and future. And our worship joins with the worship of those who are gathered around the throne now in the spiritual, the holy Mount Zion, where God is, where the general assembly of his church is. And they are worshiping at the throne, at the feet of the king. And so are we. So are you right now. And you have been ascended to that place in your worship. And you need to realize that's what happens every week. And in that ascension and in that preparation that takes place, in your consecration, God is changing you. God is transforming you. The liturgy of our worship prepares us for this corporate ascension each week. Specifically, this is what is pictured when we are described as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. We are pictured as the ascension offering, consecrated to be presented to God, consumed in His fiery presence, belonging entirely to Him. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God properly transforms and prepares us to ascend into the presence of the Lord. And for our consecration, God speaks to us through His Word, We respond by giving ourselves and our gifts as a fitting offering to God and a testimony of faith that we are fully His. Consumed in His perfect love for us. Just like that animal was completely consumed in His perfect love. That That consuming of that animal was a grace God gave to the worshiper because it wasn't really the animal that God wanted. It was the worshiper. It was the heart of that worshiper. And this is the grace and the privilege that we have today. This is why we do not ascend and worship to God with an animal. We come ourselves. We present our own bodies as living sacrifices. And in God's love and in God's grace, He accepts us and allows us to ascend into His presence and be consumed 
by his love. God does not concentrate, or God does not consecrate us apart from his word. This is why it is essential to have our worship saturated with scripture. The form of worship we embrace, our liturgy, is purposefully saturated with God's word. The style of preaching and teaching we generally embrace is expository. This is why we sing the word. It's why we put psalms to music to sing the word. It's why we speak the word. It's why we preach the word. So that the word of God, not the preacher's stories, are central to the message. Stories may entertain you, but only God's word can change you. I've actually had people leave the church because I don't tell enough stories. True story. It's a story, but it's true. So we sing and preach and teach and declare His Word for our consecration. Because consecration is about change. So in our text in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we see that Paul is writing about change. He's writing about the consecration of the believer. Listen to those words again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Change who and what you present your body to. Present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Do not present your bodies as an instrument to sin. Don't think either that you can occupy some moralistic neutral ground and be safe. There is no neutral ground. There is no gray area. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. And if you're not for me, then you are against me. God is holy. So we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Christ alone makes us holy. We don't make ourselves holy. We're not made holy by our good works. Christ makes us holy, and we are to walk holy before him because he has given us his word and his spirit and he has empowered us to walk in obedience to him. That's his grace to us. And so we are to walk holy before him because our God is inflexibly holy. Change who and what you are being conformed to. Be no longer conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is a truism. You will be conformed to what your mind is fixed upon. You will be transformed into whatever your eyes are trained upon. Or we could say it like this. You will be transformed by that to which your mind is renewed. If you spend all your time on the internet with goofy things, you're going to be transformed into goofiness. And that's putting it very nicely. I'm not saying don't 
look at reels. I'm not saying don't have, you know, fun. And, but I'm saying think about what you're giving yourself to. Think about what you're, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to confess to you my sin. I mean, I can sit there on the Internet. You know, I'm more of a news junkie. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I realize two hours of perusing the news has gone by, and then I think about what I could have done with those two hours. Instead of filling my mind with a bunch of junk, Paul, Paul, Paul I think the English translation of Paul's word that I won't use here in, amongst you is dung. Instead of filling my mind with a bunch of dung, I could have filled my mind with something much more transforming and profitable. I actually, if you fill your time looking at dung, you're going to be transformed into what? Dung. That's, that's the power of transformation. It, and you're not just transformed when you read the Bible. You're transformed whenever you spend your time looking and meditating on whatever it is you're looking and meditating on. So a renewed mind is a changed mind. Thus, your spiritual transformation comes by the renewing of your mind to God's Word. And that's going to be played out in how you live your life, how you actually, with your fingers and your toes, what you do. It's going to be manifest with what you spend your time being transformed by. It's interesting, the Hebrew word for consecrate... The verb form, or consecration, the noun form, is a word that means to be full or to fill. In fact, in the 248 times it's used in the Old Testament Hebrew, 180 times it is translated in English as fill, filled, fills, full, fully, or some other form of the word to fill or to be full. The English definition of consecrate is to set apart or dedicate to sacred purpose. The Hebrew is translated as consecrate. This Hebrew word for to fill or to be filled is, is translated consecrate only eight times in the Old Testament. One of those times is in Leviticus 8.33 where Aaron is, in, is given the instruction to consecrate himself to get ready for the priestly ministry. But it's actually a word that means to fill, to be full. I find that kind of interesting. And what God was saying to Moses in terms of Aaron and his sons being consecrated, some English translations in, in Leviticus 8.33 there use the word ordained. That Aaron was ordained. But the point is, and the Hebrew word bears this out, the point is that Aaron is being prepared, consecrated to fulfill his role as a priest before God. So our consecration is not just a setting apart, but it is a fulfilling, a fullness that we are to walk in. So your consecration is about your fullness in life or your fullness of life in Christ or your fulfilling your life in Christ. If Christ is your life, then Christ 
should be made manifest through you. In other words, if Christ is your life, you should fulfill that reality through the walking out and living out of your life. You should fulfill Christ in your life if Christ is your life. You are to make manifest more and more fully the life and the glory of Christ. Your life conformed to Christ is a life that proves what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.26. This is the mystery that Paul talks about. It's not a mystery anymore. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the perfect will of God, the acceptable will of God, proved out in your life. If Christ is in you, prove it. How do you prove it? By how you live your life. You prove it through your fingers. You prove it through your toes. You prove it how you walk through this life. How you live out your life. You do this by walking filled with the Spirit. Remember, to be filled with the Spirit is not to be able to speak in some unknown tongue. That's not, that is not the sign or the measure of being filled with the Spirit. It has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. It has everything to do with spiritual fruit. And we know this is true because the Bible clearly teaches that not all speak in tongues, not all have the gifts of healing, not all have the gifts of prophecy and knowledge and all of that, but every believer, Galatians 5 22, every believer is to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. But not every believer is given or distributed the gifts of the Spirit in the same way. But if Christ is in you and He is your hope of glory, then the fruit of Christ must be seen in your life. Or we could say it like this, the fruit of Christ must be fulfilled through your life. That's what this word consecrate means. Consecration sets us apart for God, but it does not isolate us from the world. So some Christian traditions have this idea that we're to be separated, isolated from the world, and we're to live in our little Christian bubbles and, and, and never touch anything outside of that, and never let anything outside that touch us. That's not what consecration means. That's not how we fulfill Christ through our own life. Your consecration is not God calling you to isolation from this world. God is calling you to be transformed in the midst of this world. He calls you to himself to come out and be separate from the world, but not isolated and lacking a witness in this world. In Christ, we are no longer being conformed to this world. Instead, we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are being conformed, not to the world, but to the image of Christ through the faithful obedience, through our faithful obedience to his word. This gives glory to his name because this is how fruit is produced through us. And remember, in John 15, Jesus said, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Our consecration is our separation unto God from sin to walk in the fullness of his life. 
We are set apart for God in holiness and righteousness that is imputed to us in Christ. In our consecration, we are transformed as we put off the old and put on the new. Just like I would put off this, this jacket and put on another, this is the exact language here in the Greek that, that is used. The picture of putting off the old and putting on the new is the exact picture of putting off one coat and putting on another one. Putting off one garment, the old, and putting on a new garment. This is, this happens. We do this as we walk filled with the Spirit, not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. This is how we walk in the newness. In Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 4, Paul writes in his letter to the church at, at Colossae, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So you were raised with Christ. That's, if you are in Christ right now, if you are a child of God, if you are born again, you are in Christ, which means you have been raised with Christ. That's reality for every born-again believer. Therefore, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Now, there's a way we can misunderstand what Paul is, is, is teaching us here. You've ever heard that, that old uh, adage, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good? If we're truly heavenly-minded, we're going to be of much earthly good. Well, you know, you just take that love for Jesus a little too far. You're just a little too radical for Jesus. No. There's no such thing as that. Now, you might be too radical, but it ain't going to be for Jesus. You might be too radical thinking it's for Jesus, but maybe you need to go back and read your Bible. You might find out that what you're all radical about might not actually be for Jesus. It might be for yourself or your political cause or your spiritual cause or whatever it might be, but we got to go back to the Word of God and let the Word of God... See, we don't just rightly divide the Word. We have to let the Word rightly divide us. And then we'll know whether we're really radical for Jesus or for some cause that Jesus never called us to. You were raised in Christ, therefore seek those things which are above where Christ is, not so that you are of no earthly good, but just the contrary. As you set your minds on things above, you are transformed and conformed to those very things while here on earth. This is the importance of our worship. This is what our worship does each week. It consecrates us. It changes us. It transforms us. It helps us to set our minds on things above so that we can actually be of earthly good here as we live out our life during our time of visitation on this earth. The result is that we see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth right in the middle of our daily lives. 
this is not just about, you know, the whole thing with the Asbury revival. Everybody's all excited about that. And I haven't done a whole lot of research on it, and so I don't know whether to be excited about it or not. But I'll just tell you, in my short uh, time of visitation on this earth, I've seen uh, enough revivals come and go that, I mean, this is it. Toronto, this is it. I had friends who went there, barked like dogs, roared like lions, thought for sure this was it. Jesus is coming back any time. This is the great outpouring before the return of Christ. Meh, meh, meh. Oh, but wait, Pensacola. Had friends and went to Pensacola. This is it. This is the great outpouring of the Spirit before the return of Christ. Neither one of those ended well, in case if you know, you might not know, but I was around, I, I was living when those things happened, and neither one of those ended well. And then you had the other revival in Florida, you know, it didn't end well either. The guy that led that actually divorced his wife because an angel told him to, and, and he was disgraced and disqualified, but then some do-gooder pastor decided to restore him, and I, I heard that he's making his way to Asbury now. Not invited, but you know. So I don't know what to think about that. And it's not really important. What's important is that as you are consecrated, as you are changed and transformed as you are brought into the presence of God. As you fulfill Christ in you, you will see His kingdom come. You will see and experience His will being done in your life right here where you live, where you work, where you play, where you sleep, where you clean your house where you drive your car, where you come every week for worship. It's not about the big thing. It's about the little things. Jesus didn't say, if you'll be faithful over the big things, I'll make you faithful over bigger things. No, Jesus said, if you're faithful over the little things, I'll make you master over greater things. And while everyone's out there looking for the big, great thing, we should be paying attention to the little things because that's where the difference is really made. And that's where we really see the fruit of consecration, the fruit of transformation. It should be seen in your own personal life every day you live, every day you wake up, every day you lay your head down, and everything in between. Everything in that 24-hour cycle of every day of your life. Consecration corresponds to the ascension offering. So I'm going to come back to this. With the ascension offering, no human consumes any of the meat. The peace offering, they get to share the meal with God. But the ascension offering, no human eats that meat. It all belongs to Yahweh. 
And if you are the ascension offering, guess who all of you belongs to? You belong entirely to God. You don't get to keep 10%. You don't get to keep 90%. You don't get to keep a half of 1%. You belong to him. You are to be completely consumed by him. The entire animal is burned on the altar, ascending to the Lord in smoke. And when you are pictured in the scripture as a living sacrifice, you are pictured as the ascension or the burnt offering that is wholly consumed by God. You do not just give a part to the Lord. You are commanded to give all. You present your body, your life, as a living sacrifice to God. You hold nothing back. He consumes all of you. And you and I have to be okay with that because that's the way it is. Because it's not our call. It's his call. And he's already set the rules. And we don't get to change them midstream. Remember, this isn't your story. This is his story. You're just a part of it in his grace. Your identity with the ascension offering as a living sacrifice speaks to the reality that you belong exclusively to the Lord. You are not your own, and you should be thankful if you are not. You are to be completely consumed in Him. This is practically lived out as you love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And as you love your neighbor, and as you love one another, just as Christ has loved you. And as you continue to faithfully walk in obedience to his word. You are to continue presenting yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And I want you to, I want you to hear this. The next thing I'm going to say, I want you to hear this. You must never think this kind of radical devotion, radical devotion is above and beyond. It's not even radical. It's not even remotely radical. The Bible calls it reasonable, rational. In other words, never forget this. This is what living sacrifices do. There's nothing radical about it. It's normal. It's what we are called to do and called to be. This is your reasonable, your rational act of worship. And you should expect no less, because God expects no less. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, let us prepare to come to the Lord's table. And we'll, we'll talk about this. But this is the next offering. This is the peace offering. And when the peace offering, when the animal for the peace offering was brought, the priests were able to share. The priests got to eat with God. And we'll talk much more about this as we talk about our communion with God. This is... This is what's happening right now. God has invited us to his table to commune with him, to fellowship with him, to eat with him.
And I can't see into each of your hearts. I'm thankful for that. But God can. And so I don't know if you're trusting in Jesus. I give everyone the benefit of the doubt. But if you are not trusting in Jesus, the command, not the suggestion, the command is trust in Jesus. We are commanded to command men to believe. So we are commanded to believe, to trust in Jesus. And as you trust in Jesus, you are invited to this table as a covenant member. This is what our, remember our baptism, it's the sign that we have been made covenant members. And we believe covenant membership starts at the youngest of age, just like it did for the Jews with circumcision. Young men didn't become covenant members of Israel when they turned a certain age and were able to confess certain things. Eight days after they were born, they were commanded to be circumcised. And if you came into the covenant community and you never were circumcised, it didn't matter what age you were, you were to receive the sign of being a covenant member. It's the same here. It's just that we use baptism because that's what the New Testament now prescribes as the sign of the covenant. So if you are a baptized covenant member of Christ's body, not if you're a member of Christ Fellowship Church, if you are a baptized covenant member of Christ's body, his universal body, whatever label your church is, I want you all to come to Christ Fellowship Church, but I know you all might not. You're welcome to this table as a covenant member of Christ's body. Welcome to the table to sup with the Lord that He has so graciously invited you to. Please stand for your charge, your commission. Each week, God calls you to worship. Respond and reckon yourself slain by the cross of Christ. Know that you are cleansed by His blood. Draw near to Him, and He will instruct you through His Word. Receive His instruction. Submit yourself to His Word, which is His two-edged sword, the priestly knife that pierces and divides you. His Word is also the water that washes you. In all of this, His Spirit prepares you. To ascend the altar, a living sacrifice. Present your body just as that. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. To be completely consumed in His fiery presence. Know that as you are consumed by Him, you ascend into His presence, transformed. Know that each week you worship, you are being eternally changed. This is not true because of what you feel or what you do not feel. This is true because this is how God works in us. This is how God works in worship. You are changed through your worship. You are eternally changed through your worship of Him. Amen. Amen. Let us sing our thanks. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. 
bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you.